as the Premier League's top clubs have grown richer and more powerful, the clubs seeking to join or rejoin the elite have faced an ever more daunting challenge. In May 2007, Derby won the playoff final after finishing third in the championship under the stewardship of Billy Davis. But after a disastrous start to the new season, he was replaced by Paul Jewell. After a series of even more disastrous results, it was to end up being the worst Premier League season in history. Uh, the gang's all here and uh, we're going to be discussing uh, Derby in 2007-2008, but also more widely uh, the question of clubs coming up from the second tier into the Premier League and struggling. Um, there's a few different uh, ideas we can hit there about yo-yo clubs, about fallen giants, about how difficult the transition is and about how savage the championship is to get out of actually and teams being ill-prepared for the rigors of the Premier League so so I'm going to start us off with some thoughts on why it was that that Derby ended up doing more badly than anybody else has done I mean the squad was shit wasn't it <laughs> it's very much a very much a second tier squad I think is the the polite way of putting it I've always been a big believer that actually elite sport at the highest level is very much a game of inches and the gaps between players are so much smaller than we actually think they are. Um, what you see in this Derby team is, I guess, a lot of quite competitive games and a lot of games where when things just run against them, they very quickly become hammerings. And the truth is that they were always across the board that little bit worse in every position than their opponents and they never really believed that they could do it and all those things added up to a series of pretty disastrous results and I think 19 teams recorded at least one victory they only managed one win themselves all year uh yeah it's it, it got away from them very quickly but it's what happens when centrally I guess you have a project to come up within three years and then Billy Davis went and did it the first year he was appointed they got promoted too soon and that, and that happens quite a lot doesn't it I, I think you know I seem to remember them being quite optimistic you know Billy Davis was quite highly thought of and they did that classic promoted team thing and rather than stick with the you know the progressive manager that had sort of you know that had got them up they went straight into firefighting mode and you know I mean Paul Jewell was a bit of a an odd choice by then as well, because I mean, like he'd pulled off that great escape with Bradford, hadn't he? But but since then, not much as, as, as you know, not much success that he'd had. So it seemed like a strange a strange decision. You know, they didn't have the players. It's a classic just been promoted squad. This isn't it? It's the the main things you see are these sorts of washed veterans. I mean. Robbie Savage in there as the sort of, you know, marquee name, but pretty much at the end of his career of uh, endless shithousery. Robbie Earnshaw, who scored bags of goals for Wales, but never scored any goals in the Premier League with any of the teams that he was with, really. It's just, you know, people like Darren Moore, you know, they are championship footballers. And, you know, once you start chopping and changing management as well, um, and not really investing any money in the squad, uh, it's 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 never going to end particularly well. I was just going to say, this is the year to pick up on that thing about investment that Sunderland come up and they spend quite a lot of money 
comparatively, and they managed to stay up about 15th. So not like they've really pulled up trees. There's two transfers that actually amount to anything financially, I guess, are the Earnshaw and Claude Davis transfers. Uh, Davis from Sheffield United, obviously outside the Premier League, some without particular Premier League experience, and then Robert Earnshaw. And there's a word in baseball they'll call somebody a um, a 4A player. They're too good for AAA. They're not good enough for the major league. And that's what I think of when I think of Robert Earnshaw. You know, yeah. he was he was a very good championship striker. I don't remember him ever really doing a tremendous amount in the Premier League. It's a bit like, you know, everyone thought that about Mitrovic until this season, didn't they? <laughs> Flat track bully, you know, like, uh, yeah. And, and there were a few players around at the time, you know, that were a little bit like that. Cameron Jerome is always one I think of as being a bit like that as well. Like, but Cameron the, Jerome is the ultimate. Get your goals um, in the championship, but, but nowhere yeah. else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. Jerome, though, was, Jerome, though, was like the version that had other aspects to his game, whereas Earnshaw was built on this reputation as a goal poacher. It was like Gale. I guess, I guess so. Yeah. Again, though, you, know, you also have those players that score more goals at international level than they do at club level. Who was the lad for Northern Ireland? David Healy, like, mm. you know, banged him in for Northern Ireland. I don't ever remember him scoring any goals for any teams he played for in the Championship, particularly. He did um, another one. He had another a run one for Ken, Fulham, didn't Ken he? Kenwin Jones. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, so that, funny enough, know, this is the this is that's one of the players Sunderland bought this year, isn't it? Kenwin Jones helped keep them up. There's absolutely. a great top ten coming out of this uh, <laughs> out of this <laughs> podcast already. Well, I mean, you know, I just watched uh, at time of recording, you know. Last weekend, my team uh, concede two goals to Kiefer Moore, of all people. I mean, come on. Like, what's going on there? Um, so, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the ownership thing's interesting here, is it? Because it, it's actually very, very relevant to, uh, to, to Derby's struggles this season. As well as coming up, they're in the process of selling the club to, uh, to US, so I think US investors. So there's this weird sort of thing where they, they come up, but they don't really want to spend any money in, in, the, in the hope of sort of preserving value in the club. And then Billy Davis gets frustrated with the fact that there's no investment. He knows the club isn't, that the squad isn't strong enough to survive. And he basically um, throws a bit of a Hail Mary and ends up getting the sack for it. They bring Paul Jewell in. Um, Paul Jewell's gone on record a couple of times actually saying this job finished his managerial career like after after this he had, he had no no appetite to do anything and i think he took it on with thinking you know we've got a chance here we've got a chance to do something a bit special and within about a week of, of joining he having seen the squad train and seen them play a game he knew he had a he had a massive massive job on his hands and they do this weird thing in January, where rather than just kind of accepting their fate, they then sort of go and spunk a load of money on has-beens, really. But we've already mentioned Robbie Savage. They get a fat Lauren Robert in, and it, it just doesn't work. Just jump in and say a couple of things on the, the management issue and the ownership, because that's hanging over them all season. And the Billy Davis interview after the playoff final, he says something that has been interpreted subsequently as not really knowing if he's going to be in charge. I think he's said that. That's what was in my mind later on. Um, So as early as that, before they get in, the manager who has pulled everything around and who's a bigger figure than anybody else at the club, 
like like we spoke about this to a degree where Kevin Keegan was the bigger figure than anybody at Newcastle to us. They weren't necessarily superstars. Keegan was the the, the figure at the front and Jack Walker was kind of that figure at Blackburn. Occasionally you do get times and moments where the manager or somebody else at the club is the big personality, you know, Dave Whelan at, at Wigan, say. And uh, I think Billy Davis was that at Derby. And it does seem, and, and Davis has said that the new ownership group coming in, or the chairman that was responsible for kind of cementing that that sale, always wanted to replace him with Paul Jewell, whose stock was very high. Uh, he'd been out of the game for a year or so, but this is coming off leaving Wigan at what everybody thought was their highest possible point. Now, they hadn't had the spells under Steve Bruce and Roberto Martinez yet that would see them go on to stay in the Premier League for another five or six years. Everyone kind of thought that Jewel had done another Bradford with Wigan at that point. And as you say, it uh, quickly goes wrong. You know, he sees very soon that this isn't this isn't another Bradford. They are 20th in the league by November. And some bookies are paying out on their relegation already for a reason. Absolutely. And I think it's probably worth saying as well, you know, that sort of Derby have got a, a great a great history and a proud history you know under Brian Clough they were they were champions of England um and you know even when I was getting into football as a youngster in the 80s like they were a fixture in the top division and you know only kind of go into this struggle to get into the Premier League and stay in the Premier League in the you know in the 90s and the early 2000s and you know, obviously they've not been back since this, have they? So it, it's 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 one of those teams again, like we talked about with Sheffield Wednesday, like we talked about with Forest, like we've talked about with, you know, lots of these these teams that that were kind of Coventry, another one that were always in and around the top division, um, and then they have these horror seasons where they kind of drop out and then you don't see them again or you know or they get back in briefly I mean Wolves have a couple of really bad seasons around this time don't they when they get up and then they just don't make it stick so it's it is an occupational hazard for these kind of these kind of teams that are you know seeking to reclaim their uh their former glories in some sense I think it's. I mean, they've, got, they've got a bit of a new stadium. When, when, when was Pride Park? That couldn't have been. Ninety-seven. Too. Yeah. So it's only late nineties. Ten years old. Pretty much a brand spanking new stadium, you know, for a club, a, a, a good stadium for a club that size, you know, that that's Premier League stadium at that point, isn't it? Oh yeah, massively. I think it's. Um, it's a really nice stadium. If you've never been, it's. It, it hosted some England games when they, you know, when Wembley was being rebuilt and stuff. I think, you know, they did that sort of, you know, all England games basically went all around the country, didn't they, for that that kind of period of time? I'm pretty sure they played an England game there. Um, yeah, so it was that and the Riverside were the two new ones in the late nineties, weren't they? Oh, and the the Bolton one, the Reebok, the Reebok, wasn't it? So yeah, it was that sort of time when top end of the Championship type teams were were building stadiums, I suppose. But yeah, they they they're one of those original. Are they a founding member of the Football League? I think yeah, they might yeah. be. So, yeah, I was so, yeah. say they are an original. So they, you know, they're one of those teams like Villa, like Wolves, you know, like Bolton that that 
are, are, are a big club regardless of where they are in the pyramid at any at any one time and you know they'll always be a well-supported club and you know it must really rankle with their fans that you know they're remembered for this historically awful Premier League season rather than for their football under Brian Clough you know it's sort of it's part of a wider discussion about about how sort of teams come up from the uh, from the championship and how they equip themselves and how they kind of prepare for life in the Premier League, knowing that you know for for some games they're on a hiding to nothing. But how do you make it? How do you make it stick? How do you make it commercially viable? Do you pour millions into the playing squad on on the the hope that there'll be three teams worse than you in the league, or do you almost sort of as they seem to here, accept their fate from day one. That they're yeah, you know, they're just gonna take the money from from promote from the, the T V money for a year in the Premier League and the subsequent parachute payments and then just come back as a stronger championship team. Well this is the championship uh... desperately difficult to get out of, isn't it? I mean I look I I counted this up the other the other day. I think out of the twenty four teams in the championship, nineteen of them have played in the Premier League at some point. There's something ridiculous statement in this season's championship where like uh, top of the league and bottom of the league were separated by six points or something at some point, right? It's just so like, hard. Absolutely bizarre. But, you know, like well, that point you made about like teams that just basically like, OK, you know, we're here for a season and we'll we'll take the money and run. You know, I mean, Norwich have basically made that their their strategy in recent times you know it, they 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 come up they go down they win the championship the next season you know i mean it is really difficult to get out of seemingly unless you're norwich where you can you know basically go up and down every other season um but it, you know there are different different methodologies aren't there that teams have employed you know you've got the top of that pyramid is the teams that are really smart like brighton and brentford that basically almost took the money ball approach from from baseball and identified some players that could keep you in the league identified a playing style and actually a manager style so that if you do have turnover you know you can continue playing the way that you have been that's the kind of smartest way to do it but obviously it does carry some risk because you're relying on those players that you've scouted coming good um, and then, of course, you've got teams that are a bit richer, like a Wolves, that basically have that relationship with with a Mendes and can get in these Portuguese players, and and obviously that really that really works for them. Um, there's also a I bit mean, of an era dimension to this, isn't there? If you think like this, because it's not just about the club. This this is a period where the logic of you have to buy to stay up is becoming orthodoxy like so in the 90s the ex- expectation was that the gap was maybe a little bit smaller in in theory so the prototype team should have a go that's kind of the the logic yeah. thought and you get a lot of fun teams that come up that way and then in the 2000s it's are you serious about having a go how much are you going to invest how much can you kind of get out of the side and the derby team are really a big part of the oh well if you don't spend what can you expect logic that dominates the 2000s and you do get quite a lot of drab teams in that that 10 years and what you see subsequently i think probably really since swansea maybe the 
the kind of marker of that is what you're saying there about that more we're going to have a longer term plan more of a continuity and that has become more the dominant thing later but i think at this point we're still really seeing a set where that second era is not quite fully fixed and formed in people's mind it's being fixed so you get the teams like Sunderland who are a bit more reactive and perhaps a more optimistic sense that maybe we can have a go with this side that actually did you know really well and then they only finished in the playoffs because of some late season uh, uncertainty around the takeover and um, and some other things going on behind the scenes so you know maybe there was a bit of naivety there and thinking back to the 90s and looking back to the 90s for their inspirations and the likes of the Charlton Athletics say who come up and had a go and whether they did or didn't stay up and with Charlton it was both at different times you know were entertaining and actually held their own and um, yeah well they got it wrong in this case and uh, perhaps the likes of Kenny Miller and Robert Earnshaw up front uh, as we're coming into an age of greater tactical importance maybe all that really didn't uh, didn't add up. The whole idea of sort of spending big, I mean, I mean Middlesbrough were the first team, oh, I say Middlesbrough did it, arguably Newcastle did Newcastle it. Newcastle definitely 90s. did it, yeah, yeah. Forest did it. Blackburn, you know, we the, already covered that, didn't we? Yeah, but those those teams, that's a quite interesting era, isn't it? That kind of 93, 94, 95 type of time, because Forest come up, finish third, Newcastle come up, finish third, I think, or fourth, um, yeah. Blackburn come up, finished third right so and then win the title not long afterwards um but then you're looking at and then you've got like a weird team like Ipswich in when's the George Burley Ipswich side that's about 2000 yeah and they they they, they, 92,000 I think it is yeah because they come up and finish like sixth or seventh and then they go down the next year and that's the other trope isn't it where they have you have a really good first season in the in the top flight you surprise everybody Sheffield United did this relatively recently mm-hmm. um and then it all falls apart the next year and you can't sustain it yeah there's two things that you can really struggle with the the following season one is people have found you out and the other is if you do really really well like Ipswich I don't know if Sheff- this applies to Sheffield United but it might I think it might apply to Reading as well uh, if you do so well that you get into Europe then you're just screwed because you just have none of the resources that you need to handle playing Thursday and Sunday all year. It just, you just can't do it. Not that that yeah. would apply to Derby. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, exactly. I, mean, I think, yeah, Sheffield United was, 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 was injuries primarily, wasn't it? They kind of lost those overlapping centre-backs. And then the, basically the whole system falls apart because you've not got those players that made that system work. But yeah, like, I mean, I, mean, I suppose this comes down to the, the squad depth, doesn't it? Like the, the Sheffield United thing happened because they just simply didn't have the backup players to, to keep that system going. And then once, yeah. they, as you say, is once the system is compromised, they, they just get picked apart week after week. Then you have and, those and then teams it's so difficult that... to come back. It's so difficult to come back from that. Like you, even when those players did come back and got fit again, it was too late. Yeah, absolutely. And particularly the way that the COVID disruption worked in that season as well, it, it, it didn't do them any favours. Um, but, you know, then you've got those teams that sort of, you know, they survive for three or four years. It, they look like they've established themselves. And then, you know, suddenly, again, their lack of resources tell. I mean, Bournemouth is a classic example of that. Wigan, yeah, exactly. Like Bolton, that's, you know, they, they yeah, make Wigan. <laughs> It's kind of football and gravity, isn't it, in a sense? Yeah. Everybody theoretically has to go up and come down 
within the remits of what teams kind of expect. And that used to be much more flexible than it is now. But on the principle that nobody can be up forever, if you're not expected to be top eight, regardless of how badly you do, at some point you're going to get relegated. And that's that's reality. Uh, it's, it's ever more pressing for the likes of a Bournemouth who on paper should never have been there in the first place. Um, that's maybe slightly different from the case like Derby, where, as you say, they, they don't look out of place in the Premier League. Uh, or, at le- or at least on name recognition, they wouldn't have looked out of place in the Premier League. And of, and of course, like the current situation at Derby has, of course, been a, a massive disaster with the financial irregularities and, you know, all of the issues there. I mean, they almost went up under Lampard. They lost that that playoff final to Villa. And, you know, that's a big sliding doors moment for the club, probably, you know. Uh, four playoffs in about six years and runner-up twice. Um, if they'd gone up in the first one back in 2013, 2014, something like that, uh, I think that may have been Steve McLaren. Then, you know, the whole last decade is different because probably if they don't run into financial trouble, the irregularities are never found out. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing is that, that again, it's betting, it's betting the farm on, Making it to the Premier League, isn't it? It's, you, know, you can bet the farm on staying, but you can also bet the farm on getting there. And, you know, there's a few championship clubs that have really got themselves into trouble with that. Um, and then I guess you've got the inverse, which is teams that that basically run out of parachute money before they get back up. And that is also a problem. Mm. I think this makes the, this is what makes the championship such a fascinating league, isn't it? Because... I mean, there are maybe, you know, 10 or 15 clubs who are almost sort of seeing themselves as, you know, the, the 21st Premier League club. Like they, they feel like they deserve to be there. And so they will spend like they're a Premier League club. Yeah, some championships they spend more than more than a top flight La Liga team, yeah. you know, or, or a top flight Bundesliga team or, you know, an air divisie team. Like they, you know, some of the... Some of the, the the salary, you know, salary bills and um and transfer spends of championship clubs is 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 crazy. I mean, like, but then you know, a lot of that a lot of that tends to be teams that have come down and they've basically amassed a glut of players that they can't shift. Like I think of Sunderland and Jack Rodwell was taking home an eye-watering amount of money for barely playing, even when they went down to League One. So you end up with teams who are saddled with with players on on long contracts that they thought would you know keep them up in the Premier League and they don't and, and suddenly there's no Premier League team who wants to take these players because they perform so badly in in getting relegated. So it's a bit of a vicious circle in in many respects and 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 there are teams who are while these teams are sort of playing so badly in the Premier League and getting relegated, there are teams in the Championship who organise themselves and. And get themselves ready and actually ready for success, and so they get overtaken, and they're, and they're not ready for life in the championship. I mean, look at West Brom. I mean, this this um, was the, this was the uh, I think the genius thing with Brentford is that they were there or thereabouts, getting into the playoffs every year. Uh, they weren't quite ready, and they kind of I almost feel like Brentford lost the right amount of games in the playoffs because when they finally did come up, they were ready for it and they had a plan. And they knew, and they knew what they were going to do. Um, and, and Derby in this season, we're looking at, as Pete said earlier on, they made it up before they thought they would, 
and um and, and it almost becomes then an experiment either almost an experimental season or a oh what are we going to do and then if you have got issues around the owners and a potential ownership change and you know the manager's not sure or this isn't the vision that he was sold and the players know that the squad is light I mean the whole thing can just descend into a you know into a mess quite quickly and it's quite different to the kind of very charming naivety of something like 1993 Swindon who absolutely made it up in a bit of a Cinderella story when they weren't really ready and Glenn Hoddle was their player manager and he played one last game in the playoff final a great footballer playing one last match as a player manager before he became just a manager manager you know that was very charming and even though Swindon were just you know were bad and lost a lot of games in that in that initial Premier League season they were fun and they were good to watch and they were progressive and they had Yanaga Fjortoft, whereas this Derby team, like, you know, you have to go and look the players up to remember them. And when you do look the players up, it's like, ooh. <laughs> Although it's, I, it's I think fun. you get a, sorry, I was just going to say, I think yeah, a Swindon get a lot of goodwill because they've not been there before. You know, Dar- mm. Derby yeah, that's true. weren't gone away long enough for people to think, uh, oh, it's nice to see Derby, you know, not like Forest, for example, this season when people are, happy to see Forest because they've been gone for so long. They'll mm. be just, yeah. It's five years. You're absolutely right. It's five years and they'd been a shower the previous time they got relegated as well. Um, That's right. The, yeah. the Jim Smith era ends and I think, does it end up with John Gregory? Um, yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. <laughs> and it's and it's a mess. Um, I was just going to add as well though, that it's, it's odd because we know how it ends, but it doesn't look that way immediately. Um, although, how do I put it? Everyone predicted that they were going to go down, they were going to struggle. So it's, it's not that I'm trying to say that, but they don't start all that badly. They they draw at home and then go away and only lose one nil. So they've got a point from their opening two games. They haven't been completely outplayed. They're only in 14th. It's not all that bad. And then they go away to Spurs. They get battered four nil, and they never recover. And the, the batterings are what really separates them from from everybody else it, it's not just the only accumulating 11 points because we've seen like Sunderland teams only get not much more than that we've seen a Wolves team I think not do a tremendous amount better than that there was a point where Villa were on course to do something very similar but not too many teams racked up the six nils the five nils with such regularity as this Derby team and I think it was a really important game that Tottenham away because they were 2-0 down within about five minutes. Um, Steve Malbronk, I think, just ghosted through the defenders like they weren't there. And if I remember that season, well, they probably weren't there. And yeah, just they were the ability to shut off and think I'm not as good as the people opposite. And if the mistakes just kind of creep up and they just stopped playing. An indication of how bad Derby were, by the way, is that Darren Bent scored and he almost never scored for Spurs. So they still beat Newcastle this season. <laughs> the only team they did beat yeah. all season. Yeah. And um, they also drew at St. James's Park. So Newcastle had the distinction of being the, the one team. Not, they were unbeaten not, against us. Yeah. <laughs> Seven <laughs> points from the rest of the league Hang and four on, from that, Newcastle. But 2007, is that when Newcastle went down? 
it still no, was it this was 2009. It was the follow, uh, following season we went down. So it's, I mean, it's really, in the post. We, we should have seen it. We should have seen it come in. Yeah, it's um, in the post. If this but, is seven eight, this is the Allardyce into ending up with Keegan at the end of the year. Is it that season? Uh, yes, I believe right. so. The the thing um, about that that Spurs game is that um. Tom Huddleston was man of the match, who of course was a former Derby player who had bought off them. So I uh, love watching Tom Huddleston. Yeah, he was he was he was fun player to watch, wasn't he? Um, but that's great the thing touch is, for a big man. Oh, he, he, he was <laughs> yeah. He he was he was just one of those players that was incredibly static, but was a brilliant passer of a ball and could just now and again he would just hit those thirty odd thirty yarders and they're just flying. Um, but yeah, he was he was a good player. But the last thing is that he's the kind of player that Derby needed to be keeping. But um, it it's kind of uh, it long since come to us. So I seem to remember that they had Giles Barnes in the squad this year, and I remember there was a big fuss made about him. He was, he was like a football manager wonder kid, and I think he was in the under twenty ones. And I think this was expected to be his sort of big breakthrough season. And then obviously all this happened, and I don't think we ever heard from him again. Barnes was more the, how to put it, the narrative was, oh, yeah, this Derby team of crap. Oh, except for Charles Barnes, he's going to get a move. That's what I remember. And then when it did come, it was to West Brom and that kind of scotched it, you know, because there was it was a point in time when going to West Brom was not career suicide. That's kind of overstating it. But it meant that you were going to be just one of a, you know, nameless and faceless cast of people who played in a system. The uh, Liverpool game, it looks like Fernando Torres gave them an absolute, I mean, that was peak Torres, wasn't it, as well? I mean, that was real El Nino era Torres when he just was completely unplayable. Um, so, I mean, they lost, back... six, they lost 6-0 to Villa this season. Yep. Uh, I mean, that's just embarrassing. Well, that was that was that was a good that was a good Villa team, wasn't it? Was that the O'Neill team? Must have been. That was not only the O'Neill team. We were doing that to everybody at the time. We actually a couple of weeks earlier just beat Newcastle four um, 0 I mean, everyone beating us at that time. Yeah, I mean, just, just Derby about, were beating us. Just to, just if we thought about it being embarrassing, but um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, the funny thing about the Liverpool game, as you mentioned, it is uh, that they did that to them, and if I remember right, Gerrard and Carragher weren't playing. This was. Not quite the reserves, but obviously Torres is playing and doing well. But they did take the opportunity to rest a couple of senior players and still did this. And uh, I seem to remember Ryan Barbel scoring a really good goal, which didn't happen all that often. And it looks, well, yeah. And then um, they get a battering from West Ham as well. But that was like curbishly West Ham. So that was a good West Ham team. Speaking of the Villa game, they were actually making the running in that. And then we scored and... As so happened so often, that's when they fell apart. Uh, we went from 1-0 to 3-0 really quite quickly. And two of them, at least, two of the early ones are Roy Carroll mistakes, I think it's fair to say. So one of them, he comes for a cross and gets nowhere near it. And then the third, I think it was, is where he clears it about 20 yards out to... Um, he's on the edge of his box. When he clears it 20 yards, it goes out to Stylian Petrov, who's about 50 yards away, who just takes all the time he needs in the world to just kind of chip it almost into the uh, the uh, open net from from the halfway line. It's a wonderful finish. But again, it was kind of on a plate. I think then, all uh, these sort of drubbings, are, are, they're just symptomatic of 
a, a team that just simply doesn't believe that they they're good enough to be there and it's uh, i suppose the teams that have come since of they're all sort of setting up to try and guard against that at the very least is this the worst team to play in the premier league i'm not sure if it's necessarily the worst oh i think it's the worst paper, by but statistically it's, it's obviously the worst oh, i think but... i think it's the worst on paper as well <laughs> pretty bad it, it's <laughs> it's the worst unless but, you factor in pound for pound i mean yeah i mean i don't know like I'm i mean to think because like bradford, bradford had some but, good players do you know what i mean like they had they had players that were actually decent i can't think you know, I think, Barnsley were, Neil, I think Barnsley were better than Dove. Yeah, Neil, Barnsley were likeable. Yeah. They gave it a go, didn't they, Barnsley? Yeah. And Neil, Neil Redfern's a better player than anyone that, in that Derby team this yeah. season. They needed, they needed Neil Redfern in this team, definitely. I mean, that's the thing. If, if, you're, a, if you're a championship team coming up for, coming up to the Prem, just buy Neil Redfern. That's the, that's the way to do it. Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, you'd struggle to think of a team, a team that was worse, like, I I I don't know. I, I think there there are possibly teams who have become. become I, th- I don't think any team has come up and been worse than this. Like the, this was abs- an absolutely hopeless attempt at, at staying yeah. up. West Brom uh, were pretty almost, abject the other year, weren't they? But well, true. But I mean, this this is this is the blueprint really for how not to how not to get promoted. Whether it's you know whether you don't want to invest particularly, it's, it's investing in the right players. I'm, I'm, you know they they spent ten million quid, but you could argue that the ten million they spent was was the worst ten million spent ever, all well, this, things considered. Well, this is this is the other thing, isn't it? It's like because even even if you spend the money, if you spend the money badly, I mean that's that's think about Fulham a couple of seasons ago who spent huge amounts of money replaced basically the entire first 11 but lost all sense of continuity the new, the players they bought weren't very good i mean i'm also minds of that time when villa bought those random french players um they were all good they were just too young to play in yeah. that team it, the, the ones the, the players who needed to show up for that team were the experienced ones who didn't like the jolian lascots they they let the young kids down that year but you know, again though, methodologically, if the team was struggling already, then buying a load of promising youngsters wasn't yeah, going to be the way that stupid. you were going to get the way that you were going to get out of it. And and that's the thing is that you know, yeah, spending spending money is a is an art, just like everybody, just like everything else is. And um, I think I think there's sometimes a lot of thrashing around and oh god, let's just buy all these people. I mean, Forest have definitely done that, and it's going to come back and bite them. Because they're very unlikely to stay up, and they're going to be saddled with all of these, you know, players on stupid contracts that don't fit together. So I think you're almost better off not spending anything going down and taking the parachute money than you are spending a load of money on, you know, sort of average players that you've overpaid for. Do we think the Forest have done the same thing as Derby then? No, I think or, Forrest have sorry, done the same. They've, they've done a Fulham, sorry. They've done a Fulham, yeah, 100%. I mean, actually, they've done it even worse than Fulham because um, at, at least the players that Fulham bought had a fair bit of resale value. Whereas, you know, who's going to be taking Jesse Lingard next season? Or, like, who's Jesse taking Lingard. him off? Lingard's on a, on a one year deal, anyway, isn't he? He's not. That's true. I mean, he'll be selling NFTs or something, won't he? He won't be playing football. Um, 
but like it's 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 definitely symptomatic of of a certain type of desperation to stay in the league that Forest have gone that old school method that that Pete mentioned from the mid 2000s of Forest spends your way out of it. Forest is really bizarre though. They've bought too many people. Spend that amount of money, sure, on like eight players, not twenty. That's... Yeah, I mean, they basically bought well, a whole. I think. I mean, they, 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 had, they had a lot of players on who were coming loan, to the end of their yeah. contracts, and then they had a lot of players on loan. So they didn't really have much of a squad. So they had did you know most of those players they had they had to get someone in. But they just did it really late they, in the window. What they've basically done is what I do on Football Manager at the start of a save, and I've got no idea what I'm doing. So I just put on filters, go, whose who's, who's contract's expired? Whose name do I recognise? We'll get them in. And so you end up with Jesse Lingard and Dean Henderson and Serge Aurier on the basis that you they played a few Premier League games without I mean, really if, thinking if about anyone... it. As if anyone's watched Serge Aurier play Premier League games, as I unfortunately have watched many, um, <laughs> like exactly. he's not who you're after. There's a reason most clubs, you know. clubs don't do their business like that, though, isn't there? <laughs> Quick question I mean, for Neil, off topic a little. Aurier or Royal? Oh God! Well, I enjoyed watching. <laughs> I I enjoyed watching Aurier because at least at least Aurier was entertaining. Like also now and again, he would go up the other end of the pitch and score an absolute banger um and was entertainingly crap like emerson royale is defensively very sound but basically if he, if he goes over the halfway line it, it's like he suffers a catastrophic meltdown there's like a robot that malfunctions so which is the ideal in an attacking wing back really. so can, can we can we put it on record that your ideal spurs right back would be a cross between the two of them <laughs> absolutely not no 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 my ideal spurs right back would be kyle walker but unfortunately uh you know his head was turned some time ago just thinking about this right think about how far off the pace they are and you know i'll look it up rather than guess it's it's a lot right and then uh like yeah 20 points 24 <laughs> points uh and it's not actually that rare that teams get below 20 points in a Premier League season. We've seen it several times. You know, two years earlier, the record had already been broken again. So it was broken twice in quick succession. I think that was one of the, the Sunderland teams that got under 20 points. Do you think that actually teams like this are something of an indictment about the competitiveness of the league and maybe hint at something unhealthy more broadly? Or are they, even when they happen somewhat regularly, are they still just freak events? I think in any league, in any era, you'll get teams who just don't gel and don't perform and basically bring shame and embarrassment upon the the, the rest of the team, the, the rest of the teams in that league. But I, I, I don't necessarily think that it's, I mean, money's an issue in the Premier League generally, isn't it? It's well founded that the, the disparity between the, the money the top teams get and, and other teams lower down the pyramid get is, is, is causing a, a major problem. I don't think this specific example is kind of any worse than any other year. I suppose it's we've seen plenty of teams struggle with the, the financial side of of being in the Premier League, and this is this perhaps is sort of the worst example of it. But it's not the it's not the only kind of. I, I think it's a problem that people have to overcome, isn't it? And some people get it right. 
and we talked about teams like Brentford um, and Swansea uh, sort of 10 years ago and uh, and then teams who get it very badly wrong. And I think this is simply symptomatic of the ownership situation of that time rather than an issue concerning finance in the Premier League at that time, if you see what I mean. And also not, not, and, and not, not sticking with the manager. Sacking your manager. Like, they did, like West Brom did to Billich, didn't they? Like, he, how many games did Billich get for West Brom before they sacked him? Like, barely any. Uh, and they'd won the championship by a mile, right? So, it was just... It was just like really, really bizarre, I think, to basically say, right, this guy, you know, got you here. Like Watford do this a lot, don't they? Watford would basically go to the Premier League. There'll be four different Italian managers by Christmas um, and then they'll still go down. Um, it's, it's this kind of weird yeah. slash slash and burn approach. Yeah, I mean, there's it, it's bad management. You know, there's no there's no equation to say, say what is the right way to do it, you know. As Neil's pointed out there, there are there are certain ways that have proven to be more successful, but there's no 100% hit rate on it on any of these things. But so, yeah, there's there is an element of luck on it. But, you know, you've got to yeah, it, it's you've got to make the right decisions at the right time as best you can. And, you know, the difference between a team going down on the last day of the season, who've given it a good go and a team that got 11 points is um, you know all 11 of those against Newcastle by all accounts it's you know yeah. something seriously wrong with the management and you know that's that's not just you know that that I'm talking at board level I'm talking at you know on the pitch level you know the, the team manager the directors you know the players you know for, for something like that to happen in a season fingers are pointed at every single level of that football club you know, but it, and it does transfer onto the pitch as well. When you when you've got that kind of dysfunction at board level, or um, when there's a poor relationship between the, the board and the, and the manager, it does translate onto the pitch. And we've we've seen it so many times. Like we've, we've seen it at Sunderland, we saw it at Newcastle, we see it plenty of times over the years. If, if it's not all joined up, then of course it's going to cause problems. Yeah, there, there was no strategy in this season, was there? It was like, oh God, we're in the Premier League. Uh, okay, we will. I don't know. We will be buy a couple of people. Uh, oh, we've lost the first few games. Quick, sack the manager. Let's get another manager. Oh no, he's not very good either. And you know the the morale in that team. That's what I remember probably the most is they just looked like a team that were beaten before they stepped on the pitch every time they stepped on the pitch. Mm. Um, and and I think probably that is the you know, the saddest thing about it was they just looked like a team that that, that didn't want to be there I mean, that's, know, by the end. That's kind of one of the things that was prompted my question, to be honest, because I, I kind of looked through as part of the prep for this just to see where the similar results were. And in the 20 odd years of the last 20, 20 some odd years of the first division being the top flight in, in English football, it maybe happens twice. And doesn't really happen much in the first 10 years. Like even Swindon are 30 odd points they get. And I know there's more points available. Uh, but when you get to 2000, all of a sudden teams doing quite badly and being off the bottom, like one team being off the bottom by a long way becomes almost normal. It happens to, to Watford, it happens to Bradford, happens to Sunderland twice. 
and now it's happened to Derby. And I suppose that's one of the things that I, I, I think about. Maybe there is, yeah, it, do, it doesn't excuse any of the mistakes that they made. Of course it doesn't. But it's more the, the fact that it happened with such regularity. Maybe there was something unhealthy about the competitiveness and the competitive structure uh there was there was a maybe it maybe it isn't as bad now as it was then i don't know because we maybe it's I my think, imagination yeah. but we, we've only seen it once or twice since but that 2000s decade where the money does go yeah. mental you see it a lot i do think that's i do think that's the case that that it was the least competitive you know the, the championship clubs coming up were least competitive around that time because you know, since, you know, sort of since, you know, the 2010 started, we've had Burnley, we've had Bournemouth, you know, we've had Brighton, we've had Brentford, you know, these are all promoted teams that have been really, that have been really settled. And yes, some of them have, have dipped back down after a couple of, you know, after some really good years. But yeah, you, you've not had many that were completely abject, like even Norwich, like, the last time they were up but one, the the kind of, you know, the season when Pookie scores a lot of goals, like, you know, they gave it a good go and they did pretty well. Um, and they were just a bit light in terms of their squad, but they played some lovely football, you know, and they got a result against Man City and stuff like that, like beat Man City at, at home. So, yeah, I do think you're right. The 2000 to 2009 type of time was definitely the least competitive those promotion promoter clubs were from my recollection so there's ultimately two kind of legacies of this derby team to kind of maybe it's a finishing point we can thingy on but they are on the one hand just the worst example of a long-standing trend throughout that decade of the 2000s of teams who found themselves out of their depth and it's just that they happen to be the worst and on the other hand they're the ones that found themselves bottom very quickly got thumped every week changed the manager we're already 20th when they changed him to be fair but then decided that the solution to remedying that was to go out and bring in an ancient combination of danny mills lauren robert robbie savage hossam Ghali, roy carroll and alan stubbs in january making robbie savage the captain in the second half of the season when he's only joined in january and somehow thinking that's a solution and that's where he becomes kind of banter for the lack of a better <laughs> people wonder why paul jewell hasn't had another job since he was in Ipswich for ages was he the manager there afterwards yeah yeah he... yeah yeah he was uh he took on Ipswich after roy Keane and before mick mccarthy i think i think that's the order he's the director of football at, at somewhere somewhere now i'm not i can't remember where he's uh where he's ended up but yeah, he's fallen a long way from the highs of the Bradford and uh, Wigan era, where he, he again he, he was kind of seen as one of the ultimate firefighters who could work miracles. He'd obviously had a bad spell at Sheffield Wednesday, but uh, other than that, his career up to this point was was all looking up, and then goes into Derby. Someone leaks his sex, sex tape, and uh, it's all downhill from there. <laughs> it's, it's tricky. I mean, it's, 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 it's tricky for uh, for some managers to to come back from this stuff. Like, you know, I think about Phil Brown. Like, I mean, he did a brilliant job at Hull uh, to get them up, but then all anyone remembers is do telling one team off, talk the, on the pitch. Yeah, they're telling <laughs> off on the pitch, and the and the fact that he was this sort of you know fake tan 
kind of almost like a kind of Phoenix Knights character, wasn't he? And that's kind of what people remember him for. Like, you know, Ian Holloway is just remembered as being a bit of a clown. But, you know, again, somebody who was a great championship manager, just maybe not suited to being a Premier League manager. So, yeah, it's, sometimes these the way that these teams do does have a massive effect on the careers of the people that that actually had a very, very difficult job to keep them in that division. And and yet it's seen as being this kind of terrible failure when really the odds were stacked against them from the beginning. And I guess next time we're going to have uh, a team that could have gone much the same way when they came up, because some of these the players that uh, played for them were in the Sunderland team that got annihilated. Um, but they did the complete opposite. They became an established Premier League team. That's a, a, an excellent segue uh, for next <laughs> week. <laughs> uh, absolutely uh, professional way to end the show there. So we will see you next week to discuss that very team. Uh, yeah, that very team is Stoke City uh, under Tony Pulis. Uh, I'm sure we'll be hearing plenty oh, from Yeah, Maz can't wait. <laughs> yeah, uh, his favourite team. And we won't yell at each other at all. <laughs>